Brother Ken, Sister Judy, appreciate that good song. Well, if you take your Bible, we're going back to Titus chapter 2. And this morning we were in Titus 2, but we were preaching about Jesus, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And tonight, tonight we're going to do a little bit differently. We're going to look at really the text, part of it at least again, and uh, address another aspect that's found in this passage, this book that we've been preaching through. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, and for sake of just context, let's go back and get verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. If you read that last verse, it looks as if the Holy Spirit of God wanted not only Titus, but for every man that holds this book to preach with authority about what was recorded here. And I say that because there are people today that take issue with what's recorded here. They don't think that you should live a pure life. They don't think you should deny ungodliness or worldly lust. And I think they're just confused because once you get born again, I think you ought to try to live to please the one that saved you from your sins. Being born again does not give you a liberty to sin. It sets you free from sin. The grace of God was never intended to give you the uh, uh, abject liberty to do what you want. The grace of God was given to set you free from what you used to be and make you what you could not be in your own power. Amen. Now, I, I know that that's the truth. Now, if you would pray with me, let's look at the text. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the good singing tonight again and the good spirit that we felt here, Lord. Thank you for your people. And Lord, we thank you for your precious book, The Promises of the Bible. I pray, God, tonight that you'd help us to hear your voice. I pray you'd illuminate the pages and the words on those pages. And you'd help us to be a people that have our feet firmly grounded and settled on the Word of God. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible says very clearly there in verse 13 that we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And, you know, that, that speaks of the second coming of Christ. Jesus came the first time. First time he came, he was born of a virgin. And uh, the second time he comes, he is going to come as the King of Kings. The second coming is something that is certainly promised. If you look in verse 11, look at the wording. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Jesus Christ was born. In Bethlehem, Jesus Christ lived for 33 years and went to the cross of Calvary. So that is a past tense statement. The salvation or the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared. But in verse 13, it says that we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's something out in the future. And what we believe is we believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus came the first time. And we believe that Jesus promised that he's going to return the second time. There's all kinds of people that have different ideas about that. There are people that believe that that second coming was something that was spiritual, that took place at Pentecost. 
But all I would say to that is, at Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was sent, not Jesus Christ. And then there are other people that have the idea that the conversion of a sinner is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And while I marvel at the coming of a, or the conversion of a sinner, Jesus Christ, when he returns, is going to sit on the throne of David. And I'm glad the day I got born again, he sat down on the throne of my heart. But the throne of my heart and the throne of David are two different places. And then there are people that believe that at the death of a saint, that that's the coming of Jesus Christ. And I would say this, that once you die, if you're born again, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he's not coming down here to take you. You're going up there into heaven to, to go see where he is. Amen. And all I'm just saying is there are a lot of ideas. The world mocks the second coming. The world, the world mocks and scoffs at the idea that Jesus is going to return. I think that really is almost ironic because almost every nation on the face of the planet celebrates Christmas. They all have something that they sing at Christmas time, and they all have some kind of celebration. And you and I, we believe that Jesus was born, and you'd listen to the songs they sing. I'm talking about people that don't care anything about God or the Bible, and they talk about that little, that, that virgin-born son in Bethlehem, and they sing about, oh, come let us adore him. And I'm just saying this, the world may mock that he said he's going to return, but it's not going to stop his second return. Not going to stop his second return. I'm sure that they think that we're all waiting for the ships to beam us up. No, I'm not waiting for a ship. I'm waiting for the sun. Amen. Amen. You can look that however you want to look at that. And then what we also believe, we believe that the Bible teaches exactly what we read right here. The apostles and Paul being one of those apostles wrote to Titus and he says that looking for that blessed hope. And then we think about the prophets, how they also prophesied of that very thing. The angels also prophesied of that in Acts chapter 1. They said, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner, even as you have seen him go. That means that Jesus Christ has to literally return. He has to physically return, and he has to personally return. We believe all of that. But if we didn't have all of those things, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Listen, I'm telling Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, there's no spot or room or opportunity for him to lie. He promised he would come back again. Amen. That's what we believe the Bible teaches. But we also believe the second coming is in two parts. If you look in the Bible there in verse number 13, looking for that blessed hope, that is something that would be for the church, and I'll say more of that in a moment. But then it says, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I find both parts of the second coming here. The second coming is in two parts, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, two different things. And the reason I say that is because people get confused when it comes to what the Bible teaches. We believe that the second coming is noted by the rapture of the church and then by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The rapture of the church is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The revelation of Jesus Christ is found in Revelation chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 19. And they're very different. They're two parts. In fact, maybe if you could think of it this way, they're for two different groups of people. The rapture is for the church of the living God. All right, the revelation of Jesus Christ is for him to come for the people of Israel and set up on that throne of David as the king of kings. Then you think about it this way. It's two different purposes. 
When the rapture takes place, the blessed hope, when that appears, you and I, we're going to leave this world. We're going to be gathered together and we're going to be delivered not just from sin and from the flesh, but we're going to be delivered into the glory of God for all eternity. When you have Jesus come at the revelation, the purpose is to establish the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God on earth, a thousand-year kingdom. That might make somebody nervous, but it sure makes me happy when I think about it. You know, I'll tell you what, this world we live in, people all the time, filthy words, filthy actions, all kind of things that go unpunished, justice and judgment seem to be something that can be bought and paid for. When the king of kings sits down on the throne, all that's going to change. Amen. All that's going to change. And then if you think about it this way, two different places. At the rapture, the Bible teaches that we're to be caught up in the clouds. It's going to be a private coming. So when the trumpet sounds, you and I are going to leave this ground and those that are dead in Christ, and we're going to meet in the clouds. But the Bible says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1 says, every eye shall see him. That means that the whole of heaven, the heaven's going to be rolled back like a scroll. Jesus Christ is going to be riding that white horse and he's coming down through the valley of Megiddo and then he's going to get off that steed and he's going to step right there on the Mount of Olives. That thing's going to split and he's going to be the king of all kings. Amen. And the whole world's going to see it. whole world's going to see it. Now, two parts, but tonight I think what I want to look at is the first part, the blessed hope. So if you'll put a little mark right there in Titus. I mentioned to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Would you turn there? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we find the rapture of the church, the blessed hope. And there's two parts in the rapture of the church that I want you to notice. If you look with me, the Bible describes it. In verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. You know, the Bible spoke of Lazarus as sleeping. Jesus talking about him sleeping. And then he finally had to say plainly he's dead. Well, in verse 14, it talks about them which sleep in Jesus. Verse 15, it talks about them which are asleep. And then it plainly tells you who that is at the end of verse 16. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't know that I've been to more difficult time of my ministry following my dad's home going than to have five different families touched by death at Tabernacle Baptist Church. It seems like we just frequented the funeral home and frequented the, the uh, memorial services of our people. And, um, and you know, the Bible is very clear that the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's resurrection. I tell you what, I'm glad in the rapture of the church, the folks that have gone on before us that have been laid to rest, when that trumpet sounds and that voice of the archangel and that shout take place, they're going to get up from that ground. They're, they're going to they're become alive again. They're, the dead in Christ will rise first. You say, well, where do you get that from in the Bible? Do you really believe the resurrection of other people? Certainly. The Bible speaks in Luke chapter 7 of a widow who had a son, her only son. And Jesus stopped that 
that processional, and he calls that young man to, to have life in his body again. And I'm telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, one day, one day the people you love that you've seen lowered down into a, a grave and seen put down into the earth, one day they're going to rise again as well. Luke chapter 8, there's a, a man who's a ruler of the Jews, religious ruler, and his daughter is sick and dies, and Jesus raises her from the dead. And then I begin to think about Lazarus. Lazarus in John chapter 11, he'd been dead for four days, and they'd sealed that thing. And even when, when Jesus said, roll the stone away, Martha said, Lord, he, by this time he stinketh. In other words, corruption has already started to set in. I have good news. Four days, 400 days, 400 years doesn't make any difference. The God that made Adam out of the dust of the ground promised that the dead in Christ are going to rise again. He's going to put them back together. That's called resurrection. And that's what we believe the first part of that rapture is the dead in Christ shall rise first. And I've heard all kinds of speculation about why it says the dead in Christ shall rise first, why we wouldn't all rise together. And uh, I, I'm not going to say that I necessarily believe this, but in verse 17, then we which are alive. And I, I don't know, I've, I've heard some say, speculate that just maybe there might just be a little bit of time in between there. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But I do know this, when the dead in Christ rise, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That if you're living when the rapture takes place, are you listening? We, if you're living when the rapture takes place, you better buckle up because you're going out of this place in a hurry. Do you know what I had? I, I, I know. We, Six Flags gets all the attention, all these rides. You know, we got guys like Elon Musk, and I forget the other guy's name. We're going to send people to Mars, and we're going to let them pay a billion dollars to have a window seat just to be able to touch the edge of the atmosphere and come down. I got a whole lot better seat than touching the edge of it and looking out the window. One day I'm going to leave this earth in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and I'm going to meet a bunch of people in the clouds of there. And I can hear the world right now saying, y'all are crazy. You don't have any idea. Listen, he came the first time. He walked out of the tomb in his own power. Three days later, if the Bible says you're going up, hey, hey, you're going up. Amen. Amen. We which are alive and remain. Poof. I don't know. That's exciting to me. Of course, I know some people think, oh, no, preach, that'd be horrible. <laughs> well, whatever you think about it, it's going to happen. I think about the cult. You see what he said? The second part, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. The Bible speaking about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, that he walked with God, and the Bible says that he was not because he was translated. He was moved from the earth to heaven. You say, how did God do that? I don't know exactly how God did it, but I'm just telling you, I believe it exactly happened the way it says. He was walking one day with the Lord, and the next, time, next thing you know, he's in heaven with the Lord. He was translated. Elijah, Elijah, the Bible says that he was caught up in a chariot of fire. I have no expectation of being caught up in a chariot of fire. I, I, don't, I, I don't. In fact, I wouldn't want to ride a chariot of fire out of the atmosphere. I know that some of these astronauts, they've done that. They've sat on a chariot a fire, and they've gone up through the air. I think I'll just, I think I'll just go in the rapture instead. But Elijah was caught up in a chair. And if you say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It happened. It happened. 
Elijah, he was called up. Philip, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, every time I read it, I'm just amazed at it. Philip, Philip talks to this Ethiopian eunuch, and, and he tells him about Jesus Christ, preaches from it to him right out of Isaiah 53, and he says, and look, here is water. What doth hinder me be, be baptized? And Philip says, well, if thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. He says, I believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So they get out of that chariot, this Ethiopian eunuch, this man of means, and that eunuch and Philip go down into that water. The Bible says they went down into that water, and the Bible says that he baptized him. They went he came up out of the water, the Bible says that Philip was caught away. And then it says he was found in a city called Azotus. I've, I've looked for where that city is. I can't tell you where it is. But what I can tell you is this, that Ethiopian eunuch, when he went down that water and he came up and he wiped his eyes, when he opened them, Philip was gone. Gone. And I don't think they heard. I think they're standing there one second. And Philip baptized him. Boy, they're rejoicing. And the next minute, second, boom, he's gone. You say, Pritchard, do you really believe that's going to happen? <laughs> in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know if we'll get to enjoy how fast we'll go up to hit that cloud, but I hope, I hope we do because that sounds like it would be a fast ride, doesn't it? <laughs> and then to stand on a cloud. Every time I fly a plane, I, I look out that window, and when I look at those clouds, I get to thinking about this is where we'll be gathered. And um, it meant a little bit different to me when I flew the last time. I got to thinking, that's the next place I'm going to see my daddy right there is on this cloud. And... Um, you know, there, there's a truth that we have in the Bible that that rapture is a resurrection of those that have died in Christ, but it's also a catching away of those who are alive. And I know as a young man, there are probably things that we think about. I can think only tonight about Caleb and Christina thinking, when well, we're going to get married in the summer, preacher, if it happens now, we won't get married. And, you know, I would just say this, and, and listen, there, there are so many reasons to love the appearing of Jesus Christ. And here's what I would tell you. When you start to think in the terms that life is going to continue like this and my plan is going to continue like this, we couldn't be more wrong. The Bible says, what shall be on the morrow? Or what? Know you not? You don't know what's going to be on the morrow. We have no idea what's going to happen. And I'm telling you what's happened. In this past year, we've had people to die that we dearly loved. We've had people wake up one morning next to somebody that they loved and they're gone. There have been people that have been talk, told they have cancer and all kind of things about this body and this life that's full of sorrow and full of suffering. And I'm telling you, when the rapture takes place, all the sorrow and all the suffering is finally over for all eternity. Get a brand new body. You know, I, I used to be excited about the new body I'd get because of all the things that work properly again. But you know what I think is better than that? How many of you struggle with sin? You struggle with sin? You got a nature that somehow always is trying to bend back toward that old man and, and, and get frustrated because of, of thoughts that come into your mind or because of temptations that you have. And I used to think that once you set, took care of that besetting sin, if I set it aside, I finally, I finally conquered it and I can move on. And I'm not saying it's not partially true, but I found that that this old flesh is still always bending back in the wrong direction. I tell you what I'm going to be glad of. I'm going to be glad one day that I'm going to get a brand new body. 
And I'm not going to have to worry about the thoughts in my mind and the thoughts in my heart. I'm not going to worry about the things that are set in front of me. Listen, hey, are you listening to me? There'll be a day that you'll, ne you'll never be tempted to sin again. That's a good day. That's a good day. And boy, this morning, my heart just was so bent toward the Lord. And, and you know, I, I've tried to worship him in spirit and in truth. I've tried to worship him in services. I've worshiped him privately. And, you know, there, there's always, I understand that we see through a glass darkly. And, and everything that I know about Jesus, I read in the scriptures. And, and I speak to him, and he speaks to me, and he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's somebody that's good to you when things are going well, but he's good to you when things are going poorly. He's a gracious Savior. Are you listening to me? One day I'm going to see him face to face. Come on, we come into this place sometimes and the Lord makes himself manifestly present. And, and this, this, I'm talking about right now. I, I think back in April, my goodness, we had God manifestly present and people getting saved and people get on the altar and people hanging around after church. Churches coming together and worshiping God. I mean, an unbelievable thing. But I can think back to a time long before my time at this place. And I know the glory of God came down in here. I've heard it preached, don't listen. I've heard it preached in messages and people rejoicing and shouting. And it must have been like a little heaven on earth. But you know what was true? Even in the highest services Tabernacles ever enjoyed, never did they see Jesus face to face. Are you listening to me? But one day the rapture's going to take place and I'm not going to see through a glass darkly. I'm going to see him just as he is. Amen. Amen. You know, Mary and Martha, when they saw him, they fell at his feet. I, I hear all people talk about all kinds. I can't wait to ask Jesus questions. I, I think it'll just be a blessing to be able to say, I'm glad you let me into this place. And, um, yeah. That all comes with the rapture. No more separation, no more goodbyes. And the rapture is something then that should not just be a prophetical truth to us, but I think it should help our our lives, the way we live. Go back and look with me in Titus chapter 2, and I'll, I'll finish there. Titus chapter 2, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Very practical doctrine, I believe. And the first thing I'd have you to note is that the truth of the rapture produces an expectant people. Look at it again. Maybe underline it. Looking. Looking. In other words, there's an anticipation. There is an expectation because we've been promised that Jesus Christ is going to come again. And so I am looking for him. Maybe I can say it this way. I am not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not, I'm not looking. For, I don't read books about who the Antichrist is. Because it's not going to affect my life. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for signs. And, and, and I hear, and I'm, I'm not against hearing about red heifers and all of these other things and what they have prepared in Jerusalem for the temple and all that. I believe all that's going to be restored, but I'm not looking for temple worship. I'm looking for the one that's the light of the temple in heaven. That's who I'm looking for. 
I'm, I'm not looking for all of those things that are listed in the book of the Revelation. I'm not looking for tribulation. I know some of our brethren, they have the idea they're going to go through half of the tribulation. They just don't understand that the tribulation was meant for the Jewish people. It wasn't meant for you and I. You and I, we were judged at Calvary. Come on now. You and I, we were judged at Calvary and all of our sins, past, present, future, taken care of. I don't need to go through a tribulation to have myself purified. I got that when I got born again. Amen. 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 I'm not going through the tribulation. No, no. I'm going to heaven. Right. And I'm looking for him. And I think about it in the Bible where you say, what do you mean you're looking for him? Well, Simeon was looking for him. Luke chapter 2, he was waiting, anticipating. He's looking he knew the prophecy was there that Jesus Christ would come in this world. Messiah was coming in this world. And he was anticipating, expecting. I cannot wait for him to come. Anna in Luke chapter, the same thing. She is looking, looking for him to come. I think we ought to be an expectant people. I know it's easy tonight. I know Kimberly Grant had her baby shower. But I guarantee you that, that Kimberly and Bobby and those three boys, they've got a little bit of an anticipation going on. Maybe Kimberly's a little bit more earnest than theirs, but I mean, they're waiting. Do you understand that's what the Bible says about you and I when it comes to the coming of the Lord? We're waiting. I'm not waiting to find out which direction the stock market goes. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. And if I'll do that, that will change the way that I live. I am looking to the heavens from whence cometh the Savior. We call that the imminent return of Christ. I know people want to debate about that. I, I'm not going to debate about it. I'm just telling you, I can read English. The Bible says looking. That sounds present tense, doesn't it to you? I'm looking. There, we, there ought to be an expectation. And the expectation shouldn't be negative. Listen, I, I know that if you look at the news, there's all kinds of negative expectations. Are we going to go to war with Russia? World War III? Are we going to have civil war in America over all the racial divides? Is, is inflation going to become hyperinflation? Are we going to be able to afford food? Are we going to be able to live in the houses that we have and be able to pay our mortgages? What's going to happen to the economy? And people look at anticipating all kinds of things. You know what? I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this. Jesus Christ said, I am coming back again. And my expectation should be that direction. And that will keep my heart in the right place. The second, not only an expectant people, but look if you would there in verse number 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. I want you to underline that in your Bible if you would. Peculiar people. An expectant people, but a peculiar people. And before I define that, I want you to understand the word purify comes before the word peculiar. In other words, his expectation is that we purify ourselves. You know, the Bible is very clear in 1 John chapter 3. In fact, so I don't just misquote it. Look at 1 John 3, just a few pages to your right. When speaking about meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. Look in your Bible at what the Bible says. If you believe, if you're an expectant people that Christ is going to return at any moment, then verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him 
purifieth himself even as he is pure. In other words, as I'm expecting of the Lord to return, I'm not bending my life back toward an old lifestyle and stocking up the refrigerator in the, in the garage with beer. Right? If I'm expecting of Jesus to come, I'm not adding things to any kind of filth underneath my bed or in a closet or any other place. If I'm expecting him to come, I'm going to try to live a pure life because I want him not to be disappointed with me when he finds me. A purified life. The Bible's very clear that we ought to be a holy people. But go back to Titus 2 because that's not the word that he uses. <laughs> he uses another word. And so many, uh, so many of the newer versions don't like this word because they don't like the connotation. But if you look at it again, look what the Bible says. The Bible says that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people. Um, we ought to be a peculiar people. <laughs> I can hear somebody say, well, I know about five or six of them that are, preacher. They just... What we, what we think about that word peculiar, what we, we like to the connotation, we make that odd, strange, eccentric, out of place. And I don't think that that's really the definition. No, I think it's kind of like the word gay. The word gay in the Bible or the word gay in old time vernacular just meant somebody that was happy. I think that's a better definition of the word. It's a better definition. Somebody takes a word and gives it a new definition. You know, the first time the word peculiar is used in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 19, and it's God talking about his people that he's fixing to liberate from Egypt and bring them out of Egypt. And here's what he says. He says, I want them to be a peculiar people unto me, unto me. And look at it again in your, in your passage, that he would purify unto himself a peculiar people. In other words, we ought to be a peculiar people. We ought to be identified or we ought to look like we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and him only. You, if a guy has a particular or a peculiar writing style, we say that that belongs to him. Something is peculiar, it belongs to someone. And so what the Bible says that he's, that he's purifying unto himself a peculiar people, I believe the idea is that we, we belong to him because he has, in verse 14, redeemed us from all iniquity and now we're being purified so we're a peculiar people. We're identified with Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Don't you, don't you, listen, if, if you get around Jesus, don't you think that some of that ought to rub off on you? There ought to be an identification there ought to be something about my life that says, I belong to him. First Peter chapter 4 says, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of rioting. You know, once you get born again, you shouldn't be sitting in the same bars and clubs and all of those things like that. And so you have friends that say, well, why won't you come out? I, I, I was thinking about Gene DeWeese. Brother Gene DeWeese, his wife prayed for him 27 years. He was one of those hard-charging military guys, a ranger that liked to, to, to be in the world and do what the world does. I'm sure he enjoyed fighting. Did he enjoy fighting, Carol? Gene liked to fight back a long time before he got saved. Oh, and, and look, and now if you talk to Gene, and, and the other day he was just, he was so excited where he works at his company. He says they'll come to him before work and they'll say, 
Gene, are we going to have prayer before work today? You know why? <laughs> you know why they do that? Because Gene now looks like he belongs to the Lord, not some bunch of drunks that belong to Uncle Sam that go out and raise all kind of ruckus on the weekend. Somebody's changed his life. He's identified with the Lord, a peculiar people. Listen, I believe you and I ought to be identified with Jesus. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Some people don't like the fact that this church, we still wear ties and suits. And if you don't have a tire suit on tonight, I didn't take inventory. We don't have a standard. You have to come in. If you don't come in this way, you have to leave. But what I would say is I wear, I dress up on Sunday because of the importance of the Bible that I'm preaching from and because I'm expecting to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Same reason why people make fun about, well, you ladies, they wear dresses. Well, look, we're trying to, listen, all we're doing is we're saying there's a distinction between male and female, which the world has a problem understanding today. They do. They have a problem. And look, I, it, it's happened to us. It's happened. We, I remember we had our youth group with us. I believe we were going to Mexico. Had a bunch of young people with us, and we got on this plane. And as we're getting on this plane, you know, we're just dressed like normal, just normal, just dressed like normal. Get on the plane, and, and somebody came over to me, and they said, excuse me, are y'all a church group? And I said, well, why, why do you ask? He said, well, <laughs> y'all just look like a church group. I'm glad I didn't say, well, y'all just look like a rock band. I just thought you might be one of those. Listen, I'm just saying the way you dress, the way you talk. There are, listen, the words that come out of my mouth should identify me with Jesus Christ. That's, I like the word, let's pray, amen. Isn't that a good word? How about the word hallelujah? Isn't that a good word? You say, well, I, I can't say that outside. I can't. Sure you can. You can put a hallelujah in at work. You can put a glory to God at work. You can put a Hosanna in at work. They may not know what Hosanna means, but you can still put it in there. There ought to be something different coming out of here. And what I'm saying is he's purifying a peculiar people, not somebody that's odd and strange, but somebody that's identified with Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm amazed that Jesus wants to be identified with me. I want to live that way. Then thirdly, lastly, not only a, expectant people, not only a peculiar people, but look at the end of the verse number 14 says, zealous of good works. <laughs> zealous of good works. To be zealous is just indicative of some kind of passion. Um, you know, God told the church of Laodicea, he said, you're lukewarm. How many of you like hot coffee? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you like cold coffee? Would you raise your hand? You know, lukewarm is between iced coffee and hot coffee. It's just kind of in the middle there. And you know what the Lord said? He said, I would you were either cold or hot, but since you're lukewarm, I just spew you out of my mouth. And you know what he says in verse 19? Be ye zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, you need to get some passion about you. You need, to get, you need to get the needle moved off of lukewarm somewhere in the middle over there on that hot side somewhere. You need to add something to your passion. 
You need to stir some things up. You need to have some energy and some excitement. You need to move it from in the middle, lukewarm, over here to the other side that says hot. And you know what? If you believe the Lord's coming back, I believe you and I, we ought to be hot. The Bible says in Galatians, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not while I'm present only. Have you ever noticed some people, they get really excited when certain people come around? You know what he's saying? It's good for you to be just excited principally on the inside. You know, I love Tabernacle Baptist Church. I don't know if you do, but I, I love to come to a church where people have an excitement about the Bible. I, I love to come to a church where people aren't afraid to say amen and to say how I, I enjoy being in a place that's not dead. I like some zeal. I like somebody that's got a little fervency to them. Hey, are you listening to me? The Bible speaks about being zealous of God's house in John chapter 2. I think it's a good thing to get stirred up about the church. I was glad. <laughs> I'm coming down here and preaching. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I think there's some people that would be more excited about going to an athletic venue than they would to church. Woo, I got tickets to the 50-yard line, preacher. That's all right. I got seats on the front row. I'm waiting for Jesus to show up. <laughs> Excited about that. The Bible talks about that very thing. The zeal of that house hath eaten me up. I'm telling you, Jesus was zealous over the, the temple, and I believe he's zealous over the church. You can, you can be zealous over giving. I think we've got a church that's kind of bent that direction. Come on now, we gave between half a million and $600,000 to missions. Somebody got a burden for the world, didn't they? I, I, I never hear our people complaining about giving. Dr. Aiken, you may have, I've never had anybody come and complain to me about tithing. I've never had anybody come to me and complain about missions giving. I've never had anybody come in and say, we are giving absolutely too much money to missions, preacher. Most time it's just the other way around. Preacher, wish we'd give a whole lot more. That's happened. We brought up something at a project, showed it in here. The deacons one time gathered in here. We showed them a project about the school, and they, they, they said, well, well, how much more do they need? And they said, well, let's just go ahead and just give them more. You know what that is? That's zeal about giving. I know we don't pass the plate, but wouldn't it be something if you pass the plate, people got as excited about giving as they do receiving? <laughs> Woo, thank you, God. I got something to give today. Wouldn't that be good? Y'all looking at me like I've lost my mind. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We hadn't done it since I've been here. We ought to pick a Sunday and just say, I'm going to dump everything in my wallet into the offering plate. I can hear somebody say, Preacher, would you let us know what date that's going to be? <laughs> the church in Macedonia was zealous of giving out of their poverty. You know, the Bible says there was a man named Epaphras, and he was zealous of the church at Colossae. You can be zealous over people. I'm telling you, my heart, again, it just goes out tonight. I'm so glad to see Brother Merritt here. You know, he, he gave that car. I'm telling you, my heart goes out. I want to do whatever I can do to be a help and a blessing to him because we love him because I know he's got to be going through some strange and difficult waters. You can be zealous toward other people. I think you ought to want to make people feel like they're part of the family here. Amen. Right. You ought to get to know people like him. Amen. But then I think you ought to get to know people like Jill and Michael Whitlock. Where are you, Jill? Michael, why don't y'all stand up? 
Jill's expecting. Michael's going to be a daddy. You happy about that? Yeah. I was going to say, if you're not, it's too late, pal. <laughs> you ought to get to know them. Thank you. You can be seated. We have all kinds of people in this church that hadn't been here very long. Then we have people that have been here for a long time. I think you ought to be zealous. I think you ought to want to try to stretch yourself to be an encouragement to them and to be a help to them. Y'all ain't saying amen, but that's the truth. Amen. The problem comes in when we start looking at just, well, nobody, they didn't come by and shake my hand. You ought to get up and go by and shake their hand. Amen. Be good to them. That's what I'm saying. You can be zealous over people. You can be zealous over the house of God. You can be zealous over giving. But you know the, one of the main things about being zealous? You can be zealous about God. Come on now, listen. If I believe he's coming back, I need to let them know, hey, my God's greater than your God. I got something to offer you can't buy. Hey, hey, you need to meet Jesus. Yeah. Get zealous about him. Every now and then, I hadn't done it in a while. I think I'll do it tomorrow. Every now and then, I'll be driving down the road and listen to some good song on the radio or one of those CDs that I have, and I'll roll the window down. Now, here's what I'll do. I'll just say, glory to God. You say, you can't do that. I used to yell a lot of other things out my window. Hey, let me ask you a question. What do you get zealous about? What lights your fire? Does the daily gossip light your fire? Because if the daily gossip lights your fire, your fire ain't worth burning very long. But would you let your fire get lit by the person of Jesus Christ, you got something worth burning for. Amen. Money lights your fire. Boy, there's some people in this world, they, they, listen, they do anything for the next dollar. I think we ought to do anything for the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for If you believe he's coming, it'll help you to be zealous. It'll help you be the expectant people. It'll help you to be a peculiar people. And it'll help you to be a zealous people. When that trumpet sounds, I'm going to tell you how I don't want to be found. <clears throat> This is how I don't want to be found. Come on, Lord Jesus. I don't want to be found that way. When the trumpet sounds, <laughs> I hope I'm doing like this. I want to cross the line, leaving nothing behind, doing all that I could do. Why? He's worthy. He redeemed me from all iniquity. So where's your passion tonight? What's driving you? What's fueling you? Is it God? His church? His people? How much can people identify Jesus Christ in your life because you know he's coming? My life, my actions, my attitude, because he's coming.
He's coming, so I need, I need to be purified for his sake. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you so much for your attention tonight. You know, it might help us to say, Lord, help me to see you as you really as you really are, and help me to see what you did for me. That grace that appeared. How you redeem me from all my iniquity. Lord, help me to get passionate. Help me not to be cold, lukewarm. Maybe tonight would be a good night to do a little inventory taking. You got something in your life, something in your, your world that you wouldn't want to be found with if Jesus Christ were to come tonight? If the, is there something you're holding on to or something you're indulging in? And you'd say, Lord, I, I want to leave that right there at the altar. I want to be a purified people. May God help us tonight. Lord, please help us be what you expect us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Hobart's going to sing. The altar's open. And uh, we're just going to leave it that way for you tonight. You go right ahead and come. <clears throat>
You're dismissed. Have a good evening. <clears throat>